0: This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's say a prayer. Let's get started. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for this time. And Lord, we're praying that you would bless us. And Lord, we claim Jeremiah 33, verse 3, that if I call upon you, you will show us great and mighty things which we do not know. Please bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. name of the topic is called, What's Right About Ellen White? She's much more than a prophet, much more than a prophet. What's right about Ellen White? When you take a good look at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and look at all the inspirational people who started it, you can see that there's just a cluster of very unusual people who have unusual backgrounds and unusual talents. But there was one individual who was a, you could say, one of the main thrusts behind the church, and that was none other and Ellen G. White. And this seminar is going to deal with an apologetic about Ellen White, it's going to be a very interesting angle when it comes to this apologetic. Let's take our Bibles, let's go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. I'm going to show you something about Moses. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, there was a situation that took place in Israel, and this was in its uh, very primitive state. You had Moses as the leadership there, but the leadership was still being defined and restructured. There was a situation that took place when Miriam and Aaron, the brother and sister of Moses, began to contest his rulership. In fact, they became jealous and began to speak negatively about his authority. Numbers chapter 12, let's start with verse 6. God confronts Miriam Aaron, and this is what he says. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make himself known to him in a what? Vision. I will speak to him in a what? Dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I will speak to him what? Face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I want you to pay attention and that to this. This is very interesting. God distinguishes, or, or he separates Moses' authority from the authority of the prophets of, who were Aaron and Moses, Aaron and Miriam. And he was saying, look, if there's a prophet, I'll speak to him through a dream or a vision. <coughs> Excuse me. But he says, not so with Moses. He says, I communicate Moses with Moses in a different way. It's very interesting. This is very interesting because God begins to say, look, There is somebody who can be more than a prophet. You hear what I just said? There can be somebody who's more than a prophet. And it was based upon revelation and their personal communion with God. It's very interesting, by the way. Do you know what God strikes Miriam with? Leprosy. Leprosy. The Bible says she became white as snow. Do you know why? Because she was talking bad about Moses' wife. She was making fun of her skin color. It was a fitting description. In fact, watch what the Bible says right here in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, speaking about Moses. But since then, there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Notice this the Bible says, since that time, there has not arisen somebody like Moses. In fact, the Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 11, talking about John the Baptist. Jesus himself says, John the Baptist was much more than a prophet. And then he says this in Matthew chapter 11. (coughs) Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not, what? There has not risen, that same phraseology borrowed from the Old Testament, one greater than John the Baptist. So notice this. Both Moses and both John the Baptist were more than just prophets. They were more than just prophets. In fact, watch what Ellen White says. Those who boldly assume that they are prophets in this day are often a reproach to the cause of Christ. My work includes much more than this name signifies. Now pay attention to what Ellen White is saying. She is saying, look, the work that I'm carrying out is actually much more than that of a prophet. That's similar language borrowed as well. I regard myself as a messenger entrusted by the Lord with messages for his people. My commission embraces the work of a prophet, but it does not end there. It embraces much more than the minds of those who have been sowing seeds of unbelief and can comprehend. So pay attention to this, okay? Moses was more than a prophet. John the Baptist, more than a prophet. Ellen White, more than a prophet. What do these three people have in common? Well, one thing to pay attention to is that these three were spiritual leaders in Israel. Where you had prophets simply communicating a message to Israel, these particular three actually were leaders of great Revolutions, And these three never saw the fulfillment of their work. Moses never went into the physical Holy Land. Led the children of Israel right up to the borders. John the Baptist never saw the work of Christ carried forward. He died alone in a dungeon. Ellen White proclaimed the second coming and helped raise up the church, but she never saw the fruits of what the church would become. Folks, these individuals were given very special messages. They were leaders, special leaders that were arisen to deal with Israel and help guide them in their formation and to lead them. Ellen White has a very special ministry. God has blessed this woman. When I first became an Adventist Christian, I came from a Hindu background. In Hinduism, pantheism, the idea that God is in everything, more than God is just you know, creates everything, but God himself is a part of everything. He's in this chair. He's in this podium. He's in the ground. And so God becomes so impersonal. One of the very first things I read when I became a Christian was Testimonies Volume 9, where she deals with pantheism in her messages to Kellogg. And so through this time, over and over again, I have seen the fruits of her writings. I've been extremely blessed by it. We always ask the question, is there going to be another messenger at the very end? Is there going to be another prophet? Abundant light has been given to our people in these last days. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will con- constantly speak. And their work will go forward as long as time shall what? Less. That's all the way to the second coming. She's saying, look, my writings, they're going to make it all the way to the very end of time. might died, what, 1914? 1915? And her writings are still carried forward, and they're just as valuable as they were back then. Folks, here's something to understand: she made it very clear that her writings are going to go to the very end time. My writings are kept on file in the office, and even though I should not live, these words that have been given to me by the Lord will still have life, and will sp- still speak, or will speak to the people. You know, one day this man came to me, and he he was during my evangelistic series, and he was interested in the books of the apocrypha books. You know those extra books that didn't make it into the canon because they were weird. He um, he's like, what about that? What about the, What about the, the the second book of Daniel or the second book of Esther and you know these pseudo false books? He was bringing these up to me and I said, look, here's something to understand. I opened up the Bible. I said, what's in here is enough to save you. That's what you need to be concerned about. Oh, White gave her writings. God used Ellen White and gave us these special writings. Why would there be another need for a prophet if we're not even following the light that's been given to us? Amen? And so when we're faithful in that which is least, we'll be faithful in that which is must. But she makes it very clear that her writings will go all the way to the very end, until time shall last. Her books, her read books, or some as one preacher called it, the unread books, have been around for so many years. And these books have brought inspiration and comfort and hope to many different people. Very interesting. Peculiar points about Ellen G. White. During her ministry, Ellen G. White wrote more than 100,000 pages, a total of more than 25 million words. The text most often referred to in Ellen White's writings is Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. She mentions it 264 times. The text refers to Christians as the light of the world. One of Ellen White's favorite hymns was, When Peace Like a River. What's another name for that hymn? It Is Well. Amen. She's always asked, she always asked for it when attending Healdsburg call. Church, Colorado. Ellen White's favorite dishes were baked corn souffle, tomatoes, and macaroni. And tiny mustard greens cooked. You want to know something very interesting? You go into Elmshaven, and they still have the menu for Thanksgiving. You want to know what's on the menu? Chocolate cake. E.G. White's last known writing is the letter entitled The Victorious Life. She wrote this letter on June 14, 1914, and you may read it in her book, Testimonies to Ministers. This letter is a message overflowing with hope and assurance for Christians. E.G. White was a lover of animals. Arthur White wrote that she knew how to feed and treat animals with affection. She abhorred any practice that brought pain or discomfort to animals, and she had firm words of disapproval for anyone who misused a horse or abused a cow. Wow, animal lover. Um, Grace, the granddaughter of Ellen White, stated that Mrs. Ellen White was a buoyant person. Never did we feel under a strain of stress or stress in her presence. She had deep blue gray eyes that were kind and alert, and she looked at us with love. This woman was a very, very godly woman. Prophetess, messenger of the Lord, Adventist prophet, spirit of prophecy, SOP, Sister White, Mrs. White, E.G. White, EGW, EG White, White, Auntie Ellen, you name it. The woman has been addressed by many names and titles that a new language could be formed with all the distinct lingo. Adventists have known her her through her writings, through her many books, through sermons, through studies, through the fruits of her labor. But another question is, how does the outside world perceive her writings? What happens when sincere, honest, non-Adventist folks come into contact with Ellen White? God sends prophets to his church for many reasons, but what about someone who was more than just a prophet? how does the world receive someone like that William Foxwell Albright who's considered one of America's foremost archaeologists in the 20th century and this guy has so many PhDs it's mind blowing he earned his PhD from John Hopkins University at the age of 25 and during the next 50 years he received 25 honorary doctorates from colleges universities and seminaries of Protestant Roman Catholic and Jewish faith he wrote more than 800 publications on archaeology the bible and eastern subjects In the 1950s, one of his doctrinal candidates at John Hopkins, the late Algar Johns, introduced Albright to Ellen White's writings. His curiosity piqued the famous archaeologist, undertook his own investigation of the life, work, and claims of Ellen White, and in his book, From the Stone Age to Christianity, Albright named Mrs. White as one of five individuals whom he considered to be authentic prophets during the past 250 years. This is a non-Adventist, well-known scholar. In fact, many evangelicals will still study his writings and his archaeology that was done when it comes to the Old Testament. He said this woman was a prophet. This is somebody who's not in the church. W.A. Spicer, one of my good friends, Justin Tarosian, who happens to be a relative of Ellen White, gave me this old book. An Adventist student attending summer school at a state university in Massachusetts once wrote, one day our teacher, who had just returned from an extended study of literature in Europe, asked each member of the class to come the next day with three quotations from a favorite author. This particular student presented passages from Desire of Ages. No one could name the author. Then, to my happy surprise, the teacher said, Well, class, that is from the pen of Ellen White. She spoke at length, saying she knew nothing of the author's religion, but she felt she was able to declare herself as to the literature and said it was a pity that those writings were not better known in the literary world. She said she was going to make a strong statement, but she meant every word. Of all the writings she knew outside the Bible, there was none so full of beauty, so pure, yet so simple as the writings of E.G. White. Even the stones will cry out. Amen? Amen. In 1965, a German sociologist, Ermgard Simon, published her doctrinal dissertation in Münster, Westphalia. It dealt with Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen White. She said, in part, this is so powerful what this woman says right here, she was without fear of men, courageous, consistent. She struggled within the movement to solve the many problems. She solved problems within the church that did not expect to be solved in many decades. Simon was unable to find adequate scientific explanation for Ellen White's visions and remarkable experiences. She held the opinion that had Ellen White been a Roman Catholic instead of a Seventh-day Amist, she might very well have been canonized in due course. St. White. St. <laughs> White. In spite of her strong, yes, ecstatic union with God, she rarely lost the ground of reality. On the contrary, she tackled many practical questions in life. Undoubtedly, it was, a, it was the established fact of her mystical vision, mystic vision of God, which worked as a powerful radiance on her fellow believers, enabling her to be their leader without holding an official office in the church. And I love what she says right here. She functioned as a messenger between God and the churches. Through her, the messengers, the, number, the members had a part in the divine being. This explains the strong position E.G. White had won among Adventists. In spite of her high position, E.G. White never fell for the temptation other founders of various movements have done, where they claim to be elevated elevated themselves above the weaknesses of human flesh, but was a servant and did not claim the honor that belongs to God. Now watch what she says right here. The Seventh-day Adventists still live on in the spirit of E.G. White, and only so far as this heritage lives on do the Adventists have a future. And you say amen to that, and take a drink of water right now. I apologize. Florence B. Stratemeyer. She was actually. Uh, she came to speak before a bunch of Adventist teachers several years ago. She has written several books on education. This woman is well known in the literary world. She wrote this when she was speaking to Adventist teachers. Recently, the book Education by E. G. White has been brought to my attention. Written at the turn of the century, this volume was more than 50 years ahead of its time. And I was surprised to learn that it was written by a woman with but three years of schooling. The breadth and depth of its philosophy amazed me. Its concept of balanced education, harmonious development, and of thinking and acting on principle are advanced educational concepts. The objective of restoring man in the image of God, the teaching of parental responsibility, and the emphasis on self-control in the child are ideals that the world desperately needs. Mrs. White did not necessarily use current terms. In fact, she did not use the word curriculum in her writing, but the book education in certain parts treats of important curriculum principles. She was concerned with the whole learner, the harmonious development of mental, physical, and spiritual powers. Today, many are stressing the development of the intellect, but feelings and emotional development are equally important. (coughs) In our changing society, the ability to act on thought and in terms of principle, is central. It is this harmonious development that is so greatly needed, yet so generally neglected today. I'm not surprised that the members of the SDA church hold the writings of Mrs. White in great respect and make them central in developing the educational programs in their schools. This is somebody who wasn't an Adventist who's basically rebuking these Adventist teachers and says, look, you ought to be using Ellen White more in your schools. Can you say amen to that? I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce that first name. Professor Mizuno of Jap- Japan's Tamagawa University, formerly head of Tokyo's Museum of Science and director of social education for the Japanese Ministry of Education, recommended education to parents, teachers, and students. He called it the most profitable reading in our understanding of new education. Education, written with the inspired pen of L.M.G. White has for 50-some years been a well-known book which has rendered the greatest possible service and joy to students, teachers, and parents the world over. When I was studying at the University of Illinois, it was my privilege to read the book in its original language. I was profoundly moved by the book at that time, and it has been my desire ever since to recommend it to the educators in Japan. It is my sincere joy to hear that the book has finally been translated in the Japanese language. The Minister of Education of a Southern European... This is... This is so interesting right here. You're going to laugh. I can't tell you right now. But I do want to show you something right now, okay? Something very important for us to understand, okay? Is that when we take into account her writings, we are blessed by them. Can you say amen to that? But this isn't just for Adventists alone, right? The proof's in the pudding. When you have non-Adventists who incorporate her writings as well, the result is very similar. Folks, it just works. That's what I love about her writings. They just work. The minister of education of a southern European country has been studying at Teachers College, Columbia University. He had come to the U.S. for the best in educational policy and program of the newborn state. Upon his return to southern Europe, he authored a work on religious and moral education. It was written in the Serbian language, published by the State University Press, and acclaimed by that institution as the best book on religious education in the language. In that language. When Adventist church leaders in Serbia read the work, They recognized it immediately. It was a translation of Ellen White's education with an introduction written by the Serbian minister. The brother plagiarized her writings. 80% of the new book came directly from Ellen White's pen. He changed the introduction and the conclusion, and he put his name on the book. It's very interesting. You know, um, and and this is important for us to understand. I mean, I, I mean this man recognized it and then brought it to the, all these people and these people recognized it and they didn't have any bias towards you know, her because they didn't know who she was. And they just read it and they were just blown away by it. And when some Adventists picked it up, they're like, wait a minute, I heard this before. <laughs> it's so interesting, by the way. Um, when I was in Arroyo Grande, I was doing some task force work there. And I was, I was there, I'd go to sometimes a Sunday church just to you know, get myself involved in biblical discussion with the Sunday school teachers. And as I was there, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, right? And so, like, as I was there, you know, I was answering all the questions and stuff like that, and many times I was quoting from Ellen White without saying who it was. At the end, the teacher said to me, he's like, he, well, he said in front of the whole class, he said, you ought to be up here teaching this class. He said, like, where did you get this information? <laughs> Paul Harvey, September 4th, 1918, was considered one of the most trusted journalists, wrote this about Ellen White. Well-known quote. In 1960, Paul Harvey, American broadcasting company news, commentator and the United Feature syndicated columnist wrote a 16-paragraph article featuring Ellen White. And by the way, he never became a Seventh-day Adventist, but he attended the, he attended the Camelback Church. Sixteen paragraph uh, art, article featuring Ellen White, it began, Once upon a time, a hundred years ago, there lived a young lady named Ellen White. She was frail as a child, completed a grammar school, actually she never finished the third grade, and had no technical training. Yet she lived to write scores of articles and many books on the subject of healthful living. Remember, this was in the days when doctors were still bloodletting and performing surgery with unwashed hands. This was in an era of medical ignorance bordering on barbarism. Yet Ellen White wrote with such profound understanding of the subject of nutrition that all but two of the many principles she espoused has been scientifically established. It's very interesting. He also gives this famous quote where he's talking about this woman ought to be on a stamp. You heard that quote? Take a good look at this. You see right here? That's an Ellen White stamp right here. His brother didn't live to see this, but here it is. An editor of the Toledo Toledo, a Blade, it's actually it was a well-known newspaper at that time, Mrs. White early manifested some of the gifts of prophecy. With the formation of the Church of the Seventh-day Adventist, she immediately developed an influence and that influence was maintained to the hour of her death, a period of 70 years. Besides unusual talents as a preacher, she had organizational and administrative powers. These were all given to her church. It prospered and grew until it spread through many lands. Universities were founded, medical schools, hospitals, and schools for teachers and missionaries. Mrs. White was a remarkable woman. Had she lived in an earlier period of the career of Christianity and escaped the bigots and fire, she most surely would have been canonized. She was of the flesh of which saints are made. Very interesting. The Barna Group, 2005 talked about the most influential Arthur authors. They did a survey. Pastors under the age of 40, meanwhile, were more than twice as likely to mention books on prayer only half as likely to include the purpose-driven life, and just one-sixth as likely to place the purpose-driven church in their top-ranked volumes. In fact, while one-third of pastors over 40 mentioned at least one book by Rick Warren, just 14% of those under 40 did so. The under 40 pastors championed several authors who were not ranked highly by older church leaders. These authors include business consultant James Collins, seminary professor Tom Rainer, 19th century Seventh-day Adventist icon Ellen White and Pastor John Ortberg. This is coming, this is, Barna is recognized as one of the best survey groups, Christian survey groups in the entire world. And here they are, they interviewed pastors all over the world under the age of 40, and they said, wait a minute, who are some of the most influential people to you? And some of them were talked about Ellen G. White. In fact, one of my friends, he, uh, he works at a, uh, it's a Baptist church. And he went into the pastor's office to do some cleaning. And he looked, and there's a picture of... There's a Desire of Ages there. And he, he took a picture with his camera, and he sent it to me. He's like, guess what's in the pastor's office? So, the proof's in the pudding. Amen? It works. It works. All right. How about enemies? D.M. Canwright, well-known enemy of Ellen G. White. He wrote several articles that were... Uh, contradicting what she would say, and he was challenging her visions and her prophets. It's very interesting. This is what he wrote before he actually apostatized from the church. One thing I have remarked, and that is that the most bitter opponents of the visions of Sister White admit she is a Christian. How they can make this admission is more than I know. They try to fix it up by saying she is deceived. They are not able to put their finger upon a single stain in all her life, nor an immoral sentence in all her writings. They have to admit that much of her writings are excellent, and whoever would live out all she says would be a good Christian, sure of heaven. This passing strain, this, is a, this is a passing strange if she is a tool of the devil, inspired by Satan. Or if her writings are immoral or the vagaries of her own mind. But then when he actually apostatized, he left the entire church, and he began to really attack the church and attack specifically her. He probably became her most bitterest opponent, opponent if it wasn't for oh, Kellogg. He wrote the most gruesome things, I mean, just mind-blowing things. But what happened is very interesting. At her funeral, where there were thousands of people, he actually attended that funeral. Okay? Look what happened. Even the bitterest critic, one who had left the movement and turned to write many attacks upon the work of the former associates, and especially upon the spirit of prophecy in the church, came to Mrs. White's funeral. His brother told us of DM Camrite's emotion as they walked together past the casket, while others of the congregation at the close of the funeral service. They came back to their pew and stood while the great congregation was still filing past. Then my brother, DM Camright, suggested that we go down again to take one more look. We joined the passing throng and again stood by the bier. My brother rested his hand upon the side of the casket and with tears rolling down his cheeks, he said brokenly, "There is a noble Christian woman gone." This came from the most devout enemies of LNGY. White. Even he knew that this woman was a godly Christian. Amen? Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. Take your Bob. I'm going to show you something very interesting. We're going to Matthew chapter 24. Who knows what Matthew chapter 24 is all about? Yes, it's talking about the end of time. Very good. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Let's start with verse 3. Matthew 24, starting with verse 3. Are we all there? By the way, you want to know something? You know the difference is between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Out of, all those four, out of all those four, do you know, John, that more than uh, two-thirds of the book of John is about the last six months of Christ's life? One-third of the book of John is on the closing scenes of Christ's life. You can see where John's focus was. That's why he became more like Christ than any other disciple. He beheld the cross. But we're going to the book of Matthew. All right. Like, what can you say about Matthew? He was a nice guy. <laughs> okay. Godly man, disciple of Christ, tax collector. All right. All right. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, we're going to uh, Matthew 24, starting with verse 3. Okay, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They essentially asked three questions, right? They want to know about the end of times, but they asked three different questions, okay? The end of the age, the sign of your coming, and when these things will be. Now watch what Jesus says. He gives a veritable grocery list and begins to lay off, just lay down uh, this grocery list. But generally on a grocery list, the most important things, or the first things, tend to be the most significant things, okay? Let's see what he says. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one what? For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not what? Not yet, right? For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Okay, so the first thing he says, beware of who? False Christ. By the way, do you know the difference between a false Christ and a false prophet? What's the difference? A false Christ is someone who claims to be Christ, and a false prophet claims to be someone who speaks about Christ. That is the difference. So all these false Christs are showing up, and Jesus is laying down the end of times, right? And here, as you can imagine, the disciples are listening to this, like, whoa. Okay, let's see what happens next. This is where it gets very interesting. Verse 9. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by... All nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Now pay attention to verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and what? Okay, now pay attention to this, okay? In other words, as Jesus is laying out this particular item in this end-time events list, he's saying, look, one of these things will be false prophets. They're going to rise up, okay? But he's not finished with the statement. They'll rise up and what? deceive many now pay attention to that okay false prophets rise up the effect is great what great deception now watch this and so he's not done with that statement because lawlessness will abound what is the fruit of deception lawlessness will abound now watch this the love of many will what grow cold okay so here we have a sequence false prophets rising up what's the next stage they'll deceive many And then what's the fruit of the deception? Lawlessness. And what is the fruit of lawlessness? The love of what? Many grow what? Cold. Now let's do a converse on that. Genuine prophets will do what? Give the truth about God, which will produce what? Righteousness, which will produce what? The love of many growing hot. Can you say amen to that? If the opposite is true, then what happens here is just correct as well. So, let's keep going. In one of the large cities, he gives another story, a man was looking over books in a secondhand store. He asked for the religious books and was directed to a miscellaneous assortment in the back of the store. He remarked to the proprietor that he saw none in which he was interested. Being asked what author he preferred, he said, Mrs. E. G. White. This customer says, I want books by Mrs. E. G. White. Oh, said the proprietor, that's different. Her writings are not classed here with those books back there at all. We have them here in the front with the Bibles. They are in a class by themselves. Can you say amen to that? You know, a lot of people ask the question sometimes, wait a minute, what is the difference between the Bible and Ellen White's writings? Why do we need Ellen White's writings if we have the Bible? Here's the thing to understand. Ellen White herself constantly pointed back to the Scriptures, pointed back to the Scriptures. I one time told this man who was questioning about Ellen White, I said, look, if she was a false prophet, I mean, the devil would be shooting himself in the foot here with this one, pointing us back to the Scriptures? Why would the devil want that? He's trying to lead away from the Scriptures, right? In fact, one day I was talking to two Mormon missionaries that came over. Had a nice little time. We were talking together, and they talked like, half an hour about Joseph Smith and stuff, and I said, can I ask you one question? One question turns out to be many questions. I Can I ask you one question? And I, they said, yes. I said, the authority of a prophet, is it based upon previously established truth? I mean, in other words, is truth always based upon previously established truth? Yes, they said. So I said, what has been revealed in the past is the authority of what is going to be, what is revealed in the present or in the future. They said, yes, we believe that. So I said, what came first, the writings of the Scripture or the Book of Mormon? They said, well, we believe that the Scriptures actually came first. And I said, okay, based upon that understanding, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, the Spirit of the Prophets is subject to the Spirit of the Prophets. I said, therefore, the Book of Mormon needs to be tested by what? Oh, It needs to be tested by the Scripture. And one of them wasn't like nodding his head anymore. The other one was like slowly nodding his head with me. <laughs> and he's like, So what's your point? I said, if there was a contradiction between the Bible and the writings of Joseph Smith, what would you choose? And he was just like, What's your question? <laughs> and I said, if there was a disagreement between those two pieces these those two writings, those two pieces of literature what would you choose? Like if one contradicted the other. And he said, well, I would choose the Bible. He's like, and his friend wasn't saying anything because they realized I was trapping them. Okay? And I was doing it intentionally because I wanted them to realize something. And then I said, what if I bring out a certain contradiction right now to you? He's like, go ahead. I said, the Bible makes it very clear in First Timothy that elders should be husbands of one wife. I said, yet yeah, you have the founder of the Mormon religion who is a polytheistic. Oh, uh, 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 not a polytheistic. But, uh, yeah, he, he had multiple wives. Okay? Yeah, polygamist. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, uh, polygamist. And what was so interesting is that the Mormons have changed their stance on that just based upon who's the current prophet. And I said, but this was the last revelation given in the New Testament that elders or leaders of the church need not marry more than one wife. And then he looked at me and he says, well, I don't know. I said, what are you going to choose? You have someone here who is, there's a contradiction here, you've got to choose one or the other. And I started putting the pressure on them a little bit more, and they said, we're going to have to come back. I said, here's one thing I want to say to you, I said, this is so important to you, I said, this is so important to you and to your very soul, I said, you need to find out the answer to this. I just really challenged him with that thought. You know, I was studying the uh, Adventist Theological um, Society website, and I was going over the symposiums when it comes to Ellen White, and various theologians I talked about, Adventist theologians. One of the questions that was asked was, what's the difference if Ellen White is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Scriptures have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, aren't they on the same level? Why can't she be part of Scripture? It was sort of a question, just kind of a devil's advocate question. And one of the theologians, I forget his name, he replied very well and he says, Look, same method, different purpose. Same method, different purpose, and it's purpose that determines authority. Same method, both inspired by the Holy Spirit, different purpose. She was the lesser light to lead us back to the greater light. In other words, our minds have been so destroyed by sin. We need the spirit of prophecy to help us understand the scriptures. Let's keep going. Alfred Lee. Anybody heard of Alfred Lee? He was an Adventist painter, well known, about 20, 30 years ago. He's kind of just going kind to of disappear, but he still makes paintings. Okay? He had a very interesting experience that took place. It's very interesting. Okay? He went to Weimar, and he was giving some uh, treatments there. And there, he met a certain individual. His name was Rabbi Joseph Carr-Kerrigan. And he was a well known influential rabbi. This rabbi actually worked for the Ronald Reagan administration. Okay? He was part of the administration, the cabinet, because he was uh, invited to help kind of understand, help bring about understanding between relations between uh, Jews and the government. And he was a Hebrew scholar, well known in the Hebrew society as well. And uh, he goes to Weimar as well, this rabbi. And he gets sick. And so he's getting treatments there, and this man, Alfred Lee's talking with him and is witnessing with him, and he tells Alfred Lee, I want nothing to do with the Christian God. And he tells Alfred Lee why. And he says, because my mom was being raped. She died. She was raped by a man with the Catholic priest who held the cross and said, you deserve this. And he says, I will never love Christianity. I will never love it. I despise it. And so he had just rejected Christianity altogether, but he was a Jew, and he's a well-known Jew and he was just a a student of the scriptures. Well, when he was at Weimar, something happened. He came across the book Patriarchs and Prophets, which is an an entire commentary on the Old Testament, the first half of the Old Testament. He read that book, came back to Alfred Lee, and while he was there he said, who wrote this book? And Alfred Lee says, well... You know, Ellen White wrote this book, and he says, "Who is she?" He says, "Well, she was a person who had third grade education, and we believe her to be a prophet, And he says, "This woman knows our history." And she even knows about our sacred Jewish commentaries that have not been released until 20 years prior to that time. Where did this woman get this knowledge? She is saying just precise things about the Old Testament. That only just, you know, he says that only we would know. These scholars would know after our study and bringing in all the other writings. He said, this woman has history of the Old Testament. And then he asked something so interesting. He said, did this woman know Hebrew? And Alfred Lee replies, no, she had a third grade education. (laughs) And he said, when I'm reading her writings, it's as if the Hebrew has been translated into English. The rhythm, the symmetry, and he says, just the, just the desist, the structure of the language. It's like Hebrew translated into English. Well, Alfred Lee actually ended up becoming a Christian. He got baptized secretly. Alfred Lee was at that baptism too, as well. And when he came out of that water, he said, Now I'm a complete Jew. You can find the interview still on YouTube, it was on 3ABN. Alfred Lee Payne, or testimony right there. Type that in, you can find it there. Very interesting, folks. God has given us these things, right? Amen? He's given these very special things for us to understand. And if there's ever a time for us to really grasp these writings, it is now. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall, what? Prosper. You know, when I first became an Adventist, I had one of the old church ladies come to me during potluck time. And uh, that's, you know, the thing about being an Adventist, I don't remember a single sermon that was preached when I first became Adventist, but I do remember the potluck ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, they came in, they spent some time with me, and uh, one particular lady, she says to me, she says, I'm going to get you some Ellen White books. I said, okay, I'll get some Ellen White books. She gave them to me, and then, right before i left to go to school she, she came with this trunk load of those red books and i was like oh my goodness and so i was like taking them by the you know scoopfuls, bringing them into my car and you know all these things and then she said something to me, I, to me i never forgot she said i want you to pay attention to something when you're in school i said what pay attention to those who study the scriptures alone and those who studied the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. And she said, you will see a difference in their spirituality, in their preaching, in the depth of their thoughts. And folks, I'm going to let you know something. I have seen a big difference. God has given those writings for us. And you would be a fool to dismiss those things with all this light that is out there. Remember what I shared with you yesterday, how Edward Fudge told me, he's like, And he just came across, he had spent so many years studying out the subject, and he's very convinced that, you know, about annihilationism, which we believe in. And he says, you Adventists have this truth, and you're hiding it under a rock. But think about that. The man only has one part of the truth. We have all the other truth. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with all this light that has been given to us? I had a man who I'd been just like really just giving Bibles to these to, and I was just really preaching to him, and he wasn't making a decision. I mean, I really bring it, just coming this close. of not talking about eternal hellfire has a reason for them coming to becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. I mean, I just, I just really bring it and just appealing to him, and he wasn't just responding to any of these appeals. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this guy, I just can't, he's, he's, he's a goat. Can't help him here. And, uh, you know, he, he's a, a D-contact. You know, not an A contact, B contact. He's a D contact. Some of you Bible workers know I'm talking about. Anyways, so, um, so here he is, and he's just not responding to any of that. And I'm like, okay, I've just I've tried everything, everything. And then one day he calls me. It was like maybe a few weeks later. He calls me, and he's like, he's like, I'm coming over right now. I want to talk to you. I said, okay. He comes like marching into my office, and he said, I want to get baptized. I said, you want to get baptized? Why do you want to get baptized? You know, I don't know if I want to baptize you. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that to him. But he, he said, I want to get baptized. I said, why do you want to get baptized? And he's like, that book you gave me. And I was like, what book? And he pointed, and there was this little blue book. And he says, that guy, and he kept referring it to the guy. He said, that guy, E.G. White, he wrote that book. <laughs> and as I was reading that book, I was very convicted by God. And he's like, I need to give my heart to Jesus. I need to be baptized. And I was like, what is that? And I opened up, I went to there, I was like, this book? And it was Steps to Christ. (laughs) I didn't even, I I don't remember even giving that guy the book. I think I gave it to him right in the very beginning. And here he is. I did everything under the sun to try to convince this guy, yet when he just simply read it, unbiasedly was so convicted, more than what I could give. Folks, I realized the Holy Spirit was part of this. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall what? Prosper. Amen. Do you want to prosper? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for giving us gifts from heaven. We pray, Lord, that as our we continue to know more about you as we dwell with you in your presence. Give us a love, a greater love for Jesus, Lord, and his testimony. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, any questions? Questions? Anybody on this side? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I heard the story, I think I heard it from Rock Jose last year, I think, about um, the largest church in the world in Korea. You know, uh, yeah. Okay, now here's the thing to understand. I actually... I, I'm, I, think about me, I'm a fact checker, fact checker, I mean, I just like have to verify, I actually through, like, it took me two weeks, I tried to get a hold of, you know, he actually passed away, the pastor of the largest church in Korea, and uh, I tried to get a hold of my secretary, to stopped stop me, and uh, never went farther than that, I sent him emails, finally got an email, back, and it said this, that they have no recollection of this event happening, but... It wasn't so much uh, something that took place where there was an email that was sent to him. It was actually one of the professors, Andrews, who actually talked to him. And where this event happened, that professor is still there. So it is a professor. He did have an actual encounter where he talked to that pastor, and the pastor told him about the book Evangelism, right? That's what you're talking about? So, yeah. Very interesting. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah, actually, what's very interesting, and we normally use that as an apologetic and we'll say to ourselves, well, we'll say to people, we'll say, one of the signs of a prophet is that what they say comes to pass. But did you know in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 13 that false prophets themselves could bring something to pass? So because something comes to pass, is not necessarily the qualifier of why, they could, why they're a prophet, but it's very interesting. It says this in, in Deuteronomy, but if they lead you away from, other, to, from to worshiping me, do not follow them. In other words, what becomes the qualifiers, whether or not, specifically, the prophet is leading you to the commandments of God. Even Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, many will come to him that day and say, did I not prophesy in your name, did I not, heal demons, did not or cast out demons, did I not um, heal many people? And you know what Jesus said to them? I don't even know you. Depart from me, ye who work what? Lawlessness. So the qualifier of a genuine prophet is not so much whether or not just a miracle. Miracles are used as a criteria, but what is the ultimate qualifier is whether or not they're leading you to worship God in keeping of His commandments. So people say, well, some of the things haven't come to pass. You know, here's the thing to understand. Much of what she has said is still being understood and studied out and still trying to be You know, interpreted. You can read the Old Testament writings, and you'll find there are prophecies from these certain prophets that have not come come to pass yet either. You know, the coming of the Gentiles to, you know, um, coming to the Gentiles to the truth. The amount of Gentiles are going to come. And we're going to see that take place right before the very end. But it wasn't fulfilled yet. You know, and so there are a lot of things that still have not been fulfilled yet. But again, that is not the ultimate qualifier of whether or not a prophet is genuine. Jesus said, By their fruits you shall know them. The fruits of their lives, their character, and whether or not they're drawing you to the Scripture. Ultimately, one must remember the definition of a prophet is one who speaks for Christ. Is there a book that you, would um, you know, one book that uh, came out from a, a Southern Adventist professor, Judd Lake, it's called Ellen White Under Fire. Um, it's, a, it's a newer book. It came out, I think, a little less than a year ago. Seems to have top-notch stuff on there, you know. I, I'd recommend that. Um, you know, the other thing is, too, is that when you're reading her writings and stuff, always study context. Always study context. you going to hear people say, Ellen White says this, Ellen White says that, Ellen White says this, you know. And, you know, it's so funny. We should have a book written, Ellen White says this, <laughs> you know, and it's all blank, you know, just like, you know, uh, or false, or you could say, uh, you know, like, one day at, when I was going to school. there was this lady at school she'd always say you need to sit in the front row and we was like why does she want everybody to sit in the front row and she said because Ellen White says that if you're not sitting in the front row the demons are going to sit there finally somebody said where does it say that and she could not find the answer I'm still looking for that by the way so if you find it let me know but so I would simply say that okay so prophecies are always being revealed and understood okay you look at the writings of the other prophets, not all they've said has come to pass yet. And what they're saying is still being studied out and researched. But here's the thing. Jesus told, inspired Paul in First Thessalonians, test the prophets. Test the prophets. You know, Ellen White said that her writings, she, she, she told, she challenged people. We're supposed to challenge people to study out her writings. Not to even to make them a testing truth. She talks about that. You know, when we say, hey, do you believe this? You know, when, I, so when I'm doing baptismal studies, I always tell people... You know, I'll make an appeal, and then I'll say, I'm going to give you books. I want you to test it out, and I want you to study, and I want you to see if it's scriptural. You'll see for yourself. And many times, they'll just say, yeah, I'm very convinced of it. And that takes time. You know, when I first became Adventist, um, the guy who brought me to the church, uh, he, was, he had some views about Ellen White that weren't right. And uh, like he never told me about her, so while we are getting baptismal studies, the Sabbath school instructor starts talking about Ellen White, and I was like, who is this woman he's talking about? And he's like, don't worry about her. And he'd just shake his head. And he'd always tell me, you got to be careful. Some of these Adventists, they worship her and stuff. But that was sort of a superficial kind of foolish view that he had because he was just a kid and he didn't know how to properly understand things and ask questions and, you know, find out what the, the truth is behind certain things. So uh, as I began to read her writings and studied out myself, I became convinced. So I always challenge people. I'm like, check it out. You studied it out. I told the Hindu woman on the plane. I said, you read the Bible? She's like, no. I said, how do you know if it's not truth then? I said, it's, up, it's worth everything to you to study it out for yourself. I said, you yourself need to know if God's word, this is God's word. And she accepted that. Yes. Well, I guess I would say this, is that, um, I was like, yeah, you can give an amazing facts Bible study guy, that usually works, but, uh, you know, the calendar that's been accepted by the world that time, like, for example, if the calendar was ta- changed between the time of the ten, giving of the Ten Commandments and Jesus, Jesus would be keeping a different Sabbath then. So he kept the Sabbath that the Jews were keeping at that time, which tells me that he was keep that was the correct Sabbath. We know what calendar was around during that time that Jesus was keeping the Sabbath. That was the Julian calendar. It was still being used. And so we know that Jesus was keeping that calendar. The Gregorian calendar is what we now use. Knowing only difference is between 10 days, not a change in the week. So we have verification about what it is. Another thing is, I always tell people, I said, okay, what, what, day, what day do you celebrate Easter? Oh, I celebrate Easter on Sunday. Why? Well, Jesus rose on Sunday. You take him to Matthew, the Bible teaches Jesus rose on the first day. And if the first day is Sunday, you say, what was the previous day? Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, but what was the previous day? Oh, the seventh day. That's exactly right. I just hold them right back to it, and they just, oh, that makes sense to me. And it's just some simple understanding. You go in every different, like, almost every single culture and religion, over 161 languages, the word Sabbath is in their language. Do you know in Ethiopia that when Catholic missionaries showed up to Ethiopia and they were looking to proselytize, The Ethiopians, you know what they discovered? Sabbath-keeping Christian churches. They had no clue where they came from, and they began to persecute them and oppress them. Tomorrow I'm going to share one of the quotes. What's so interesting is the Ethiopian Christians trace their spiritual lineage to um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But it's even before that. It's with the Queen of Sheba, who essentially brought the Old Testament in, and it was the the Ethiopian eunuch who brought the New Testament in as well. And so when they got there, the Catholic Mission, we have this on record, they got there, they discovered Sabbath-keeping Christian churches. Look, they, and they were, they were untouched by the world. And so if things were changed, then, then you know, uh, then this would be changed as well. But we have objective evidence to show that this was taking place there. So there's just so many objective reasons of why, you know, Saturday is still um, Sabbath day. 17. You're welcome. Good question, though. Yeah? I want to ask kind of the reverse of the question you dealt with. You know, what do other people think of Ellen White? I don't have to tell you that, the, that Ellen White is not universally like an Adventist church. Why is that? Can you restate your question? Why do you think Ellen White isn't as like universally an Adventist church as she is outside of the Adventist church? Well, I think um, uh, the same, it's, it's same reason why Jesus wasn't liked by the Jews, you know? Uh, the devil has his people lined up in the church, and he'll do whatever he can to make sure that we don't know the certain things. And uh, he'll um, distract us. You know, Morse Vending used to use this crying a baby analogy, where he used to say, you know, when you're preaching and there's crying babies, everyone's distracted. And so he'll, he says, in the church there are crying babies, issues that are distracting us from the most fundamental things. I think. One of the reasons why people reject her writings is simply because they're accepting opinions rather than testing them themselves. That is, to me, it seems to be the most essential reason why. So when people say, well, I don't believe her writings, how much have you read? I always ask them that question. How much have you read? Well, I, didn't, I mean, I read a, a page of Desire of Ages. And I'll say, it. so you've come to the conclusion that you've, you are rejecting potentially, which could be Something that's given by the Spirit of God simply because you read one page? And he didn't understand how flowers that were in their pluck could never fade. That was his reasoning. I don't understand that. And I finally said, in heaven, there are going to be a lot of things that don't make sense from our perspective right now. I said, keep reading, keep testing it out. You'll discover the truth. I have one individual I was studying the Bible with. And uh, he was just, I didn't even say Element was inspired, okay? And he's just reading, we're just going over certain portions of what she had said that were part of the Bible study. And, you know, I, like I said, I pawned off as if I'm saying it, but it's simply because I don't want to produce any prejudice in them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell them eventually. And then they're like, man, this is inspired. You know, of course it is, you know? So, you know, but it, it's just helping them to understand that. And so what I also do during my evangelistic series, I'll put up quotes, and I've done this once. I'm kind of a, a mischievous. I um, I was putting I was preaching one series, and I was like, "Man, this quote Ellen White says it so well." I quote her many times because for her, her ability to articulate more than the use of her authority, but her ability to articulate, she just boom nails the point very well. It's, I could never say it, and I put up the picture, I put up what she said. It was like on the second night of my evangelistic meetings. and then I put underneath Elena, Elena De Blanco, and. Uh, <laughs> And I said, you know, I said, watch what, one, what, watch what one commentator says. And I put it up there, and it was saying all these stuff. And one of my friends who, you know, speaks Spanish, he was in the front row, and he looked right back at me. <laughs> and I just like, so I would simply go back to that point, urge people to test it out for themselves, and introduce them to the most beautiful things that she has said about the love of Jesus, His righteousness, and His mercy. You know, so yeah. Yeah, they've introduced people, they've been introduced to sort of the um, stuff that probably, the more of them, where you need to be more educated in her writings to understand, and like I always said, I said, you know what, study out the context before you get to that point. You know, when I preach about, like, uh, doing a series, a lot of people say, so you Adventists will do a little research on the internet, you Adventists don't believe in jewelry. You know, I said to them, I said, I said, don't worry about that until you it's been revealed to you in the Bible. I said, you are not required to do it until it's revealed to you in the scripture. Then when it is, you are held accountable. I said, but don't worry about it yet. That's why I you, but don't worry about it until you've seen it for yourself. God winks at our ignorance. But he says, he, when he holds us accountable is when light comes into our lives. And that's why I always say to people. I said, don't worry about it until it's been revealed to you. Then when you see it, follow. I said, whatever God tells you, follow it. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, of course it makes sense. I mean, this is just common sense. So just really urge it right back. You don't have to say it cynically as I do, but you can see what I'm saying. Okay. yes. Is there a way to get the PowerPoint? Yeah, you can. Um, If you want to leave your email here after we're done, you can do that, and I'll send you the PowerPoints. So, yes, in the back. You know, I always say, have you read Desire of Ages? Have you ever read Desire of Ages? You know, I struggled with my devotions all the way until it was probably just I began to read Desire of Ages. Then when I learned about Christ and when he was on the cross and how you know, he died the second death, I was so convicted about the love of God. That's the first time when I began to realize God loved me. I challenge people to read Desire of Ages. It makes sense. Read what she says. If there's stuff that they can't handle right now, like the testimonies, give them the outrageous. Give them milk. It's so interesting. By the way, um, I just remember this. One of my friends, he's a pastor in Northern California. He told me that at a Pentecostal convention, this happened. This happened several years ago. There was a Pentecostal convention. A well-known Pentecostal speaker got up, and he was talking about Adventists at the very end. And he says, "Those Adventists," he said, "I don't agree with them, but they have a real prophet and they're hiding it." Uh, yes, how often should someone in Because I know on people who think if they more like thing, like less that's I would say this depending on what you're trying to prove. If you're trying to prove, you know, certain things from Scripture, you need to use Scripture. Um, and so, like, like, at a seminar, you can use many quotes, because, I mean, you're just dealing with a special group. At church, I'm learning more and more where I pastor at. You have people who've never heard of her writings. You have people who've been sort of turned away from her writings. And you have all sorts of individuals. So I personally keep it limited about one or two quotes, sometimes three. But I always try to emphasize Scripture more than anything else because they need to see the Word of God. And I always preface her writings by simply saying, and here's what the beautiful book Desire of Ages says. I actually refrain from saying, here's what the mighty prophet of Adventism says. <laughs> I, I refrain from that. Uh, because they need to know that this is truth, not because it, we're telling it, them it's truth, but because it it's, makes sense, and it's in line with Scripture. So that's always something important to preface her writings with, is saying, Here's, you know, here's something written in this book. Here's something written by the beautiful pen of a, and a wonderful author, Ellen Dwight. Or you can use Elena Blanco if you want. Whatever. But, uh, so things like that. So, yeah. All right. Any other questions? I saw I saw one happen. Yes. Yeah, there are, there are many translations that you can get. I actually asked, what's her name? She's the um, head of the Ellen White Estates. Uh, anybody know her name? Cindy Tush. Yes, yes. I asked her and about this, and she said, yes, this is a well-known story. We're just not exposed to this newer generations. There's been powerful stories that have happened the last 40, 50 years, but they just sort of die out, and the, the current generation's unaware of it. But this was like a well-known thing during their time. It's like, yeah, we all know about this. I'm like, how come you guys didn't tell me? You know, so, you know, it's just like, I, I think it, it should be studied out and explored more. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. <coughs> Any last questions? Yeah. yeah. What does the G-E-Q-Y stand for? Gould. Gould? Gould. G-O-U-L-D. I heard one really sensational preacher, you got to avoid sensationalism, that's why I am a fact checker, fact checker, and uh, he said, well, in one language, Ellen means I-self, ghoul means gold, and white means white, (laughs) raiment, you know what he was trying to say, so he's trying to basically make a connection that you know, the gold the I sell, and the white raiment that God promises in Revelation chapter 3 was a reference to her. But, um, so, I, I'm just saying, I do not believe that at all whatsoever. So I'm, I'm adding this on simply just because I'm, you know, wasting time and just trying to give you more information. But, you know, I do, seriously, like, we. I think uh, this brings us to another point, is that we need to make sure that we're not hinging upon sensationalism, and we need to avoid things where we get sucked up into, like, occults, you know, exposing occults and stuff like that. That's, not, that's foolishness. It really is foolishness. And I think we need to avoid that. We need to stick with what's solid, what's clear, what's revealed, and what's relevant. Amen? And so, yeah. Good. Any last questions before we close the prayer? Okay, very good. You've been a very good audience, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this time and Lord, we don't want to just believe Ellen White's a prophet, this gift you've given to us. We want to take advantage of it, Lord, and learn all we can learn. God, there's so much for us. I pray that you bless each person as they continue to grow in their understanding and as they continue to just grow closer to you, Lord. I just pray that that you would help us to be able to share these writings with others as well, these precious gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.